0: Welcome to Built To Go, a van life program. I'm your host, Jeff Wagg, coming to you from the College of Curiosity. This time it's episode 166 and we're gonna talk about 10 reasons not to buy an ambulance to convert into your camper van. There's probably more than 10, but I have lived all 10 of these and I'm gonna share them with you. We're also gonna talk about what color your van should be. Are some colors better than others? Yeah, probably. And we're gonna have a tale from the road involving, well, honk honk, I shall explain. Thank you everyone, welcome back. We're gonna have a crazy experimental show here again today. I'm using a new microphone that I think I'm not going to like so much, but I figured I couldn't really wear my headset with video. I mean, I can. I just look like I'm piloting a bomber or something and I thought maybe it would be better not to have that. So I'm using a very strange rig here which um, the astute amongst you will know is this is not a microphone, it's a lamp. (laughs) But it's a lamp with two microphones on it and well, I think it'll work. Anyway, your feedback is always welcome. If the sound quality is terrible, let me know and I will find some other thing to do. I really think I need to add soundproofing. To this room. So, as you know, if you've listened to this show for any period of time, I am uh, not very good at taking my own advice. There's two pieces of advice I've given repeatedly over the years, and the first one is don't buy an ambulance. <laughs> I was very clear about that, and then over time I came to realize that you shouldn't buy a diesel, and you especially shouldn't buy a diesel Sprinter. And of course, having given this advice, I went out and bought a Diesel Sprinter Ambulance. From the start, let's be clear here. I am not trying to dissuade you from buying an ambulance. I'm simply giving you ten reasons not to buy an ambulance, ten things you should consider, and if you have better reasons for buying an ambulance, then please go ahead and do it. Ambulances can make amazing and unique camper vans But they've got their own set of unique problems that you absolutely need to be aware of. And they're very deceptive. But before we get started, we need to talk about some terms. So, and you know what an ambulance is. Okay, but there are three kinds of ambulances. There's a Type 1, a Type 2, and a Type 3. I don't know who numbers these things or why it's in this order, but you may have noticed that Type 1 and Type 3 have a box that attaches to a cutaway vehicle, whether it be a pickup truck body or a van body. These are by far the most common ambulances to convert. I have a Type Two. A Type Two ambulance is simply a van where the body isn't substantially changed, but the inside is built out to be an ambulance. The major difference between all these types is that the Type Twos do not generally have much external storage, if any. My van doesn't have any external storage at all. And this takes away a lot of the advantages of having an ambulance because one of the really nice things is that you get all these lockers outside the ambulance to put stuff in. Mine, well I had to give that up for a simple reason, I can't fit one of those in my parking space. I live in Chicago in a condo, I have a condo parking space, and my Type 2 literally fills up every square inch of that space and probably a little bit more. So that's what I'm stuck with. I think if you're looking at making a camper van, unless you have a special circumstance, you should look at the Type 1s or Type 3s because they're going to make better rigs. Here's the thing, the Type 1s and Type 3s, that box in the back, you usually can't stand up in it. It's a strange thing. You think you've got all that space back there, but the height is usually not tall enough for someone who's six foot tall to stand. Now, if you're somebody who's five foot two, this isn't gonna matter. But for me, as somebody six feet tall, I would be like this, like with my head craned over all the time if I were in one of those box ambulances. Now, there are exceptions. There are extra large boxes that are extra tall. They actually look kind of funny. You can notice them because they just seem too tall. And a lot of people have actually raised the roofs on theirs by cutting the walls and raising the roof up. That's something you can do too. But just know that these ambulances are not as tall inside as a high roof van, like my Sprinter. I've got a Sprinter high roof, I can stand up in there just fine. So in that regard, the Type Two is actually better. Number two, and one that should be pretty obvious to you, the wiring in these things is crazy complicated. Now, mine actually has very simple wiring and I have it's kicking my butt. I have to say, even though I don't have any of the fancy data communication systems where some ambulances have a computer in the back that talks to a computer in the front and they're wired crazy and sometimes the computer controls the lights and things like that and it's really hard to modify, I don't have any of that. I've just got straight wiring but I don't have a schematic and I can't get one. And I just have this massive wires and the wiring isn't intuitive. I had to completely rewire the ceiling lights because I couldn't figure out what made them turn on or not. There was a switch that made them turn on but so did opening the doors, and so did turning on the rear outside light. And you know, these are all things that make sense if you are in an ambulance and you're trying to take care of people, (laughs) but I'm not. I'm somebody in a dark sky site who wants to be able to open his door without blinding everybody who's looking through their telescopes. So I ended up rewiring that whole thing. I never figured it out. I simply ran new wires, and I think this is what happens with a lot of ambulances. So then I've got all the existing wire, and now I've got all the wire I've added too it gets complicated really quickly and you have to be very comfortable with electrical stuff. Plus, in the Sprinter, it's even more complicated because I have three batteries. I have the starter battery in front of the driver's seat, I have the factory installed auxiliary battery which is under the hood, and then I have my own leisure battery that I added in the back and it it gets very complicated very quickly. So you're gonna have to have a really good handle on electrical stuff before you tackle an ambulance. Number three, they're difficult to alter. You basically have two choices when you get an ambulance. You can pretty much leave it the way it is, or you can rip everything out. And you see a lot of that. People buy an ambulance and they'll just tear everything out. They end up with this aluminum box in the back. It's a lot of work, but it can be done. And then you've basically got a box truck. My question then is, is, why don't you just buy a box truck? Now, one of the answers is that you want those external cabinets because box trucks don't have that, and that makes sense. But it's a whole lot of work to take apart an ambulance and take everything out. But that's what some people do. Just know that even though it kind of looks like it's already built out as a camper, I can just move into it, it isn't that way. Things don't fit right. There's no sink. The battery, well, we'll get into the battery in just a second. Another thing is that, um, well, stealth? I know stealth is a controversial topic, some people think stealth doesn't exist, other people think stealth is the greatest thing ever, but whatever you think, there is no stealth in an ambulance. It is a vehicle that attracts attention and you may not want that attention. Or maybe you do, You know, maybe you're advertising your brand or something and then an ambulance would be great for you. Number five, these vehicles are designed to be running. That means everything in the vehicle is designed as though the engine is running. For example, I have action lights on my ambulance. I think they all do. There are these big bright halogen lights on the outside of the ambulance, and they draw something like 25 amps when I turn them on. And You would never want lights like this if you were running off battery. But if the engine's running, eh, what the heck? In fact, a lot of ambulances, when you put them in park and then set the emergency brake, it'll idle up to give you more power to all your stuff. And the problem with this is that everything only works then when the engine's running. For example, I have heat and air conditioning in the back of my ambulance. That's awesome, that's great, look at what I don't have to, no, actually they only work when the engine's running. So if I have somebody in the back, they can be comfortable while we're driving, and I can preheat and precool the back, which has some use. But if I'm boondocking and I'm camped on the side of the road in the middle of the desert, That doesn't help me at all, I I can't use that stuff unless I leave the engine running all the time, which I don't want to do because… Number six, ambulances have very high hours. Now let's be clear here, you're going to check the mileage when you buy a vehicle, obviously. My ambulance had 121,000 miles on it I think, which is pretty low. A lot of times ambulances are sold with higher mileage, and I kind of think I know why mine was sold with lower mileage. but. That's not the whole story with a normal vehicle yeah that pretty much tells you the age and how used the vehicle was but in an ambulance remember what i said about them always being running they're basically turned on and then never turned off and you have to check the idle hours and, and so depending on who you talk to every hour of idling could equal 60 miles It's not like a normal vehicle. These things will sit in idle and just forever because they're never shut off when they're in service. So you're actually buying a vehicle whose engine is much older than it appears from the mileage. Number seven. This seems like a minor little thing, but your ambulance may come with decals on it that may say ambulance or have that blue star of life thing. Well, guess what, folks? If you're not an ambulance, you can't have those things on your vehicle. It's illegal. That star of life is not just a decal. It's a symbol. It must be removed. And these decals are not easy to remove. I've spent probably 20 hours removing decals from my Type 2 ambulance, which is smaller, using everything from those rubber wheels and... Goof off and Goo Gone and WD-40 and gasoline and plastic razor blades and heat guns. I've tried everything. All of it simply takes a whole lot of effort and people always underestimate how much time they're going to have to spend to take the decals off. It's a lot. It's no fun and you risk damaging the paint underneath. And then after you're done removing the decals, then you have ghost signs. The side of my ambulance says Faith Community Hospital no matter what I do because the paint that was under the stickers didn't oxidize at all while the rest of the paint oxidized. And well, uh, yeah, so I'm going to have to keep buffing away at that and trying to get rid of it. Anyway, bottom line, tons of work for the decals. Number eight, you've got some legal issues you've got to sort out. My ambulance was sold to me as an ambulance. It was not decommissioned in any way. The sirens worked, the lights worked. Now, I did not have the mechanism that changes street lights to green. Some of them do have that, and uh, yeah, you're not allowed to have any of that stuff. I don't care what state you live in. You're not allowed to have blue flashing lights or sirens or things that change the lights. So you have to remove that stuff, and that causes some issues because... If your lights even look like they can turn on, cops might pull you over for that, and what a lot of people have to do is simply spray paint all their lights black. So you've got this whole lighting thing to work out. For me, I simply disconnected everything that was like that, and they're still on there, but because they all have clear lenses, I think I'm okay. No one's pulled me over yet. I do have some unusual red ones that I kinda worry about a little bit, but I will just tell the officer that, look, they're disconnected, I can't turn them on. And as for the siren, As much as I loved it, I just removed it completely. Number nine, so you have to deal with registering the thing. What are you gonna register it as? An ambulance? Probably not. So then, is it a commercial vehicle, or will you do what I did and do everything necessary to make it an RV in your state? Every state, or at least most states, have a set of things you need to do to classify a vehicle as an RV and you need to have it inspected and they need to sign off on it. In my case, having it registered as an RV saves me money every year and it allows me to drive on roads that are not allowed for commercial vehicles. So for me, that was the no-brainer. Convert the title to an RV title, but you're going to have to figure that out on your own. Number nine. You're dealing with two different manufacturers. You've got the vehicle manufacturer, whether it be Ford or Chevy or GMC or Mercedes or Freightliner or whoever. And then you've got whoever built the ambulance part in the back. And you know, there's a lot of big names out there. Now mine happens to be a Miller, not a Miller Meteor, that's a different company. But mine's a Miller out of Springfield, Missouri. They built my ambulance and Well, they have altered some of what Mercedes did. And you'll find this a lot where alternators are different and then some of the gauges don't work and they had to redo the wiring and things like that. And that leads me to number 10, which is actually a pretty big problem. Mechanics hate working on these things. You might think, oh, I got a Ford ambulance so I can go to a Ford dealer. Yeah, you theoretically can, but they're not going to want to work on it. I have had problems with the Mercedes dealers where they open the hood and they're like, what's all this crap? I've got all kinds of extra stuff under my hood and I've got all kinds of extra wiring. In fact, I won't ask them to work on anything electrical. It's just not fair to them. But... Yeah, they take, everything takes longer, they don't want to work on it, and if they're busy, they're just going to park your ambulance in the back and wait. And then they're going to give it to the new guy, you know, because nobody wants to work on these things. And it's even underneath. Like, I have this big air conditioning unit underneath the van, and that blocks a lot of the stuff. So you are not going to be Mr. Popularity at the dealership when you roll in with this vehicle, and some of the third-party mechanics are just simply going to say no, even though they're probably your best bet. So are you ready not to buy an ambulance now? Remember, I'm not trying to talk you out of buying an ambulance. There's a lot of reasons to buy an ambulance and that's what you'll see all over YouTube if you type in Ambulance Camper Van. These amazing projects that people have done. But you need a whole lot of skill and patience in order to turn an ambulance into the camper van of your dreams. And honestly, having done a bare bones cargo van and then being in the middle of doing an ambulance, cargo van was a whole lot Easier. Tech Talk. What color van should you have? That seems like a silly question. And the truth is that you're probably not gonna be able to pick a color. I mean the way vans are now, they're so hard to get. It's not like that you can just go to the dealership and say, oh, there's a red one and a black one and a yellow one and a green one. I kinda like yellow. No, you're just gonna get whatever they have, or you're gonna order it and hope they can actually get the color you want. As you may have noticed, most vans are white, and there's a lot of reasons for that. White is the best color for vans. (laughs) I know it's boring, I know it's associated with creeper vans, but hear me out here. Why is white the best color? Well, let's consider all the factors. First, stealth, again, controversial, I know. I think stealth is about being ignorable, not about being invisible, long story there, but. Most vans are white, your van's white, it blends in better. Number two, white stays a lot cleaner. I have never washed my van. I've had it for two years, it has never seen soap and water. And that's mostly because I'm not done with the decals yet and I keep saying as soon as I finish with the decals I'll, I'll wash it and it just hasn't happened yet. But. At a reasonable distance, it doesn't look filthy. (laughs) But if it were a black van, or a navy blue van, or a color like that, oh god, it would look terrible. Because you think, oh, dirt's black, van's black, you won't be able to see it. No, 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 no. If you've ever owned a black vehicle, you know that they're dirty in an instant. So dark colors are bad from a cleanliness point of view. And of course, they're bad from a sun point of view. Now, you might think, oh, I'm going to do a lot of winter camping, so if I have a black van, it'll heat up faster. And while that may be true, heating is an easier problem to solve than cooling. And that white paint really does reflect a lot of heat off of the vehicle. It is noticeable. If you have a dark color vehicle or a light color vehicle especially a big box like a van you can feel the difference in temperature just based on that color. So what's the best color? Well it really matters on what you can get but I strongly urge you to lean towards the lighter colors white silver maybe some gold things like that and to stay away from the blacks and navy blues and eh, reds mm, they're kind of in the middle of all this because of their weird wavelength. So uh, you know Think about that before you go crazy painting your van. Product review. Sometimes I really love doing a product review. Sometimes it's kind of a chore, but sometimes I come across a product that I really love and this is one of those. So if you have a fan, a Max Air fan, a fantastic fan, whatever kind of fan, that's only part of the ventilation solution. You need to have a way for air to get in. I mean, most of the time you're blowing out and you need to have air get in the vehicle. And if you've noticed, if you have your max air fan on high, it's kind of hard to open the doors if you don't have some other way for air to get in. Now you can put in another vent, if you've got a 170, you know, you've got space to put two max air fans in, that's great. But in my 144, mm, I don't really have space and I thought about, well, I could do a couple things and then I was like, well, what about those screens that go in the passenger and driver's side window? You know, you roll down the window, and you put the screen in, and you roll the window up, and I've seen them forever, but they're so darn expensive. They're like 160 bucks. and then I've looked at the reviews, and they don't fit very well. They always leave a little gap because, at least on Sprinters, you end up with these sharp corners that are hard to fill with something. And then I thought, oh, you know, I could just make my own. I can go get some gutter screen and cut it and then that's not very secure because you can just push the gutter screen in and you can get your whole hand in the van. and you know. So I hadn't found a really good solution for this until now. I bought these things. They're called White Top Adventures Bugout 2.0, and they're awesome. I love these screens. Now, they're not metal. They're made out of a very hard plastic, and at first I was like, oh, I don't know about that. And I don't know how they're going to do in cold weather, but you probably don't need them as much in cold weather. But boy, they fit perfect and they're easy to use and they let in a ton of air. I absolutely love this product. Now, the cons. Well, they're still 100 bucks, which seems like a lot. $50 for a piece of plastic with screen in it still seems like an awful lot of money. But when you compare it to the cost of the other ones, it's actually a bargain. The second con, which is actually a bigger problem, is I bought these two weeks ago and they're no longer available. Uh, I got them on Amazon and now currently unavailable. We don't know if they'll be back and I don't know if they make them for other vehicles. So it's a, I can tell you what it's called and maybe you can find it, but it's, it's the White Top Adventures of Bugout 2.0. Honestly, it looks like a product that someone might be making at home it does not have that mass-produced feel. But it is the best screen I have ever seen. Uh, It's completely secure. Yeah, it's plastic, right? So you could break it, but it'd be easier to break the glass. (laughs) So the security is the same as the window. From a distance, you really don't notice it that much. And it lets in a ton of air. So I'm sorry I can't give you a link to this. I haven't been able to find it. But if you happen to run across these, they're much better than the metal ones, in my opinion. And uh, I'm really thrilled to have them. Tales from the road. I had the strangest experience this weekend. So I was working on the van, I got a lot of stuff done. I put in a cabinet that hangs from the ceiling that took a whole lot of cutting and it looks terrible now, but I'll fix it up. I put in a rack that holds stuff by the stove, I took off a whole bunch of decals, I installed a new speaker to replace the crappy portable bluetooth speaker I had, I changed the way the bed works and replaced one of the hinges, And I messed with the fridge, I did all kinds of stuff and have made the van much, much better than it was. It's still not finished, it's probably at 80% now, but it was at 60% before, maybe 65%, so I feel like I made some real progress. And I got in the van on Monday morning just to do a few little things, and I heard this. And I thought, well, that's weird. I mean, it sounded like it came from inside the van. Now, I was down by the river, and I thought maybe somebody was boating, and anyway, you hear a noise once, you don't think anything of it. And uh, then about a minute later, I heard it again. And this time, it was definitely in the van. And, uh,. Well, what on earth is doing that? So I had to figure out where it was. I was sitting in the driver's seat. I went around in the back, and I was able to confirm that the sound was coming from the back of the van. So the first thing I did was when I heard the noise, I looked at the clock to see if it was a timed noise. And indeed, I found that if I waited exactly a minute, I'd hear the noise again. And I thought, oh no, somehow... There's this ambulance feature that I've never encountered before that is broken because I messed with something electrical. I also rewired all the lights in the ceiling, so I was like, uh, what did I screw up? And I'm like, and it won't stop. And I don't, I'm thinking, oh, I've got seven fuse blocks in this vehicle. I'm going to have to start pulling fuses. I, I don't know what to do. So then I thought, oh, I've got one of those fancy Renogy batteries that has Wi-Fi and everything. Maybe it's to tell me there's something wrong with the battery. So I went over, and sure enough, the sound seemed to be louder near the battery. Now, my battery is buried beneath cabinetry. Again, ambulance, hard to find places to put stuff, and I have to remove stuff to get at it. So um, first thing I did was I connected to the Wi-Fi with my phone and checked to see if the battery was okay. And sure, everything said fine, no errors, it was fairly charged, no reason for it to be honking at me. And, uh, you know, so I removed the trash can that's on top of it, and there's a shelf, and I removed all that, and then I started looking at the battery, and I was really hoping that I didn't need to take the battery out, because I have to remove the sink to do that. (laughs) And then I heard the sound again. But it was behind me. I thought, what the heck is going on? I looked behind me, and the only thing that was behind me was the bed, which doesn't have anything electrical in it that I'm aware of, and the trash can, what what would be in the trash? So the trash was filled with a few soda cans and some paper towels and stuff like that. And then I reached in and pulled out a Bluetooth speaker. (laughs) There's a Bluetooth speaker, the old Bluetooth speaker that I couldn't get to work anymore. I threw it in the trash. It was a little tiny thing. And apparently the battery was dying. And uh, that's the noise it made when the battery was dying, every minute, forever, until the battery died again. Now, the amazing thing about this story is in the Discord channel, which is called Built to Go, a Discord channel, I asked folks what they thought the noise was, and I laid out the whole scenario of all the work I'd done and what the noise was, and somebody figured it out. (laughs) Somebody actually figured it out, and I wish they were there with me on Monday morning when I was completely baffled. I thought somebody had put one of those annoyatrons in my van or something. So anyway, every mystery has a solution and I hope you can solve yours very quickly. (laughs) A place to visit. I have not been to this place, but it looks interesting. Sort of, it's certainly a little bit different. And this is in Columbus, Ohio. <laughs> and it's called As We Are, the ultimate selfie machine. So this is in the convention center in Columbus. It's just in the lobby. And you go in the lobby and there's this little booth, like, you know, one of those photo booths. Remember those? Um, and you go in there and there's a camera in there and it has, you take your picture and like, oh, there's your selfie. But what it does with the selfie is the interesting part. It takes the selfie and blows it up And makes a sculpture out of it. In fact, there's a giant head. (laughs) And when you have your picture taken by this box, it replaces that head with yours. And you are now an art exhibit of your giant head in the convention center. Which, um, ah, it's a little silly, but I could see you doing a whole bunch of interesting stuff with this. It's at 400 North High Street in Columbus, Ohio, and again, I've never been there, but apparently all you need to do is go into the convention center and you can use this. You don't need any tickets or anything, and heck, uh, welcome to the future? Resource recommendation. So, if you've listened for a while, you know that i really like staying at rest areas if i'm driving across the country and i'm not staying anywhere for fun i'm just staying there because i have to stay there because i need to sleep i like rest areas for a lot of reasons but there are legal issues every state has different rules about whether you can sleep in rest areas or not and some have basically no rules you can do whatever you want and others have really strict rules like you can only stay for two hours or tennessee has now made it a felony to sleep in your vehicle in public areas. And, well, as a rest area a public area? I would love to see a court case and see how that works out. So, how do you know if you can sleep legally in a rest area? Well, the folks over at Boondockers Bible, which is a great site, by the way, it's worth checking out, they have exhaustively compiled a list of the laws in every state. Now these laws change rapidly and you can't blame Boondocker's Bible if they're not exactly right. But it at least gives you a sense of how the state you're traveling in feels about you sleeping in rest areas. Now some states have weird restrictions like Georgia you can't sleep at welcome centers, but you can sleep at rest areas. In Delaware there's a specific rest area that you can't sleep at. And an interesting thing they do is they make a distinction between camping and sleeping in your vehicle. Now, Wisconsin is a good case of this. Driving through Wisconsin into their rest areas, you will see signs that say no camping. But they mean no camping in tents, no sleeping on the ground. It says nothing about sleeping in vehicles. Now, you can get into some really gray areas with this. But there's a couple of basic truths that I believe to be true, therefore they're truths to me, that sleeping in rest areas is probably okay. First off, if you're not going to be a nuisance, no one's going to bother you. It's not like there's a cop sitting there at the rest area looking to get you, which is the case in Walmart sometimes. Don't stay in the rest area for a week. You know, stay there for one night, and if you're going to stay in that same area for two nights and you need to be at the rest area for two nights, see if there's another one across the interstate or, or go somewhere else. Don't be a nuisance. Don't overstay your welcome. Also just stay in your vehicle. Don't be setting up a barbecue and stuff and taking up three spaces and playing frisbee in the parking lot. This is not a recreational area. This is just a place to park so you can get back on the road as soon as possible. And even in the states where things are tough, you know, be a little smart. For example, Florida does not want you to sleep in rest areas. But it's probably only a problem in the really busy touristy areas like in Orlando. So don't stay there. Go to a more rural rest area. I have spent the night in rest areas in Florida with no problem. In fact. I think every state I've visited in a van, I've spent the night in a rest area. Illinois apparently's law is that it's only three hours, but I sleep overnight in Illinois rest areas all the time. I will often head out at 6 p.m. and then right at the border, I'll spend the night in Illinois. And it's been fine. I haven't had any problems. So if you're curious about the laws, go ahead and check out this site. It's boondockersbible.com and the name of the article is Which States Allow Overnight Parking in Rest Areas? Well worth a read. It'll give you some perspective, but at the end of the day, I wouldn't worry about it because you can always ask the officer, would you rather me drive tired or would you rather I just stay here for a couple more hours and leave in the morning? Well, folks, thank you very much for listening to episode 166 or watching it on YouTube, however you enjoyed this. Please let me know feedback-wise if this is working or not. It takes a lot of effort to produce the video portion, and I really don't want to detract from the audio portion. So let me know either way if this is working or isn't. Music, as always, is by Simon Wagg. And if you need to get a hold of me, I'm jeff at build2go.com. That's two Ts, not three, one. Until next time, remember the words of a Bill Watterson who said, If people sat outside and looked at the stars each night, I'll bet they'd live a lot differently.